1: a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have something a little bit different. We actually have part one of what is a three-part series all about the six steps to increasing the multiplier of your business. Now we have part one here on the deal room podcast, but if you want to listen to parts two and three, then you will have to head over to our sister podcast of the deal room podcast, which is called Talking Law. Now, in our show notes, we will provide some links straight through to Talking Law, where we will provide part two and part three of this three-part series. But today, you are getting the first of the three-part series in this six steps to increasing the multiplier of your business, where we really delve into talking about what the multiplier is of a business why increasing the multiplier of a business can have an exponential impact on the value of of a business. And we also delve into step one of our six steps in the six steps to increase the multiplier of your business. And in order to talk about this topic, we have on board Mark Johnston from Sherlaw's Group and Nathan Williams from Customer Return. Uh, These guys are full of knowledge. I had an absolute blast recording this three-part series with them as we really delved into a whole heap of... Of case studies, um, as well as the ideas about the six steps in increasing the multiplier of a business, and we talk about some amazing results. One example is a business that moved from being having a two hundred thousand dollar valuation to an eleven million dollar sale. In 18 months, doesn't that just blow your mind? I mean, any business owner would be very happy with that exponential growth in $200,000 as a valuation to $11 million 18 months later. So listen in if you want to hear which of the six steps in increasing the multiplier of your business led to that one. And I'll give you a hint. We actually don't talk about it in this part one. So you have to listen on to part two and part three in Talking Law in order to get that one. And we we have a number of other great examples like that. So look, buckle in. Here we go. I think you'll enjoy these uh, episodes. I certainly enjoyed recording them. Wonderful, Mark and Nathan. Firstly, I just wanted to say a very big thank you for joining us on The Deal Room Podcast today.
2: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Joe.
1: Brilliant. My absolute pleasure. I'm super, super, super excited about today. Um, Talking about increasing the multiplier of your business um, in just six steps. Love it. Absolutely love it. Every business owner I speak to, well, almost every business owner, um, wants to know how to increase the multiplier of their business, how to increase the value of their business. Um, and maybe what we should do is take one step back and look at why we're talking about the multiplier. But before we do that, I'd just like you to each give um, a really quick um, overview of who you are and what you do, how you work with this. Nathan, over to you.
2: Uh, thanks, Joe. So, um, long story short, I'm the, uh, the owner and founder of a, a sales consulting business called Customer Return. Uh, And the three things we do are help people pitch their business, um, increase their sales capability, and also get a lot more repeat and referral business. So some of those things are obviously aligned, increasing valuations in a business by increasing things like conversion rates, ability to bring in new clients, and then once they've got those new clients, how to get those repeat and referral sales happening so they've got that reliable, stable, recurring revenue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fabulous. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks, Nathan. And over to you, Mark. Maybe if you can give us a bit of a background.
0: Thanks, Joe. Um, my name's Mark Johnston from Sherlaws. I'm one of the founders of the company. For the last 20 years, we've had the pleasure and honour of working with SME owners around the world to help them increase their share price and the valuation of their companies. Um, and we've done that through a combination of intellectual property processes to increase the share price and a delivery methodology around coaching, not consulting, so that we don't write big, thick reports and say good luck, we actually get in the trenches with them and help drive that share price growth. Um, And we've had the honour of, as I said, creating about $7 billion worth of share price uh, growth across our businesses. And our average growth is about 220% in the share price over an 18-month period.
1: So, sorry, repeat that, the average Um, share price increase you've managed to to achieve did you say is how much
0: 220%
1: 220% over 18 months that's phenomenal I absolutely love numbers like that Mark (laughs) <laughs> okay. Wonderful. So, so let's talk about it. So, of course, the topic today is six steps to increasing the multiplier of your business. But moving one step back for uh, perhaps new listeners to the Deal Room podcast, um, what is the multiplier of a business? Why are we using this terminology? What is it that we're talking about at the moment? Um,
0: great question, and a great baseline to start. So every SME has a share price, but when you talk to SME owners, they don't actually realise they have a share price, and they certainly don't know how to calculate it. And so the share price of the business is its enterprise value um, times the number of, divided by the number of shares. So when we talk about the value of a company, there are two parts that drive that valuation. One is the profit of the business, and one is then the multiplier. And so if you have a $3 million profit business, the average multiplier in most industries is three. So that's where the term three times Mm -hmm. becomes part of the lexicon. So what we have with an SME owner, if you've got $3 million profit times three, you've got a $9 million value business. The mistake that most SME owners make is they spend about 95% of their time trying to drive that profit. increase revenues, which is, of course, important, manage costs, and we're taught as business owners to do that. So a lot of our time is driving revenue managing costs. Well, what we haven't been taught and don't know how to spend our time doing is actually in- introduce things to drive the multiplier. So our, the six steps to increase your multiplier are designed to increase that multiplier from three to five because it's much more enjoyable for that small business owner and their advisors, their accountants, their lawyers and their financial advisors to actually have a strategy to drive that growth. And just as importantly for people looking to acquire businesses, they actually want to see that there is upside once they've acquired that business. So if we take a typical SME that's got $3 million profit and a multiplier of three, that's an enterprise value of $9 million. Our approach after 18 months is to increase that profit to four and then increase that multiplier from three to five. So the value of the business is now four times five and now $20 That's where we're able to generate that 220% upside by getting the SME owners to actually work on the things, the six things, components that drive that multiplier above the industry benchmark. By focusing on that, you're able to get fast compound growth. It's what's called a high growth stock on the stock market. What we need to get our SME owners thinking about is how do I create a high growth share price growth strategy for my own business? Because that will create organic growth. And look at if you're looking to have your business transaction ready, as we call it, it will allow someone to see that you've actually got ways in which you can create, can create compound growth, which makes your business much more valuable um, and with a de risking processes underlying that.
1: Absolutely love it. I absolutely love it for so many reasons. I think number one, This is such a good conversation to be having right now. So right now where we are, um, we we probably won't publish this for for a few weeks, but right now we're sitting in the midst of a pandemic um, and businesses are being challenged. Um, Many businesses are being challenged in terms of, you know, liquidity and business model as a whole, you know, is the business model that they have Mm. something that they will be able to see through after the crisis um, has ended. And, you know, some businesses that have fared well still have a crisis in relation to business model, in relation to their ability to have scaled up when the opportunity has been there. So I think there's so many reasons why this discussion that we're having today is massively pertinent um, because businesses – perhaps more than ever, have now the, the requirement or the need to step back and really have a bit of a think about their model. And whilst profit may have uh, seeped out the door, particularly, for, you know, for many industries, if we're able to work on the multiplier then when the profit comes back, then that potentially gives businesses the opportunity for exponential growth out of this period. What's your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when when we have a thing like COVID, it's just like the GFC twelve years ago. It's essentially a black swan event when the tide goes out. And you know, when we look at businesses, what accountants, lawyers, and advisors will often say is, you know, in a boom period, a lot of businesses can make money, but when there's a stress test in the market that's when the tide goes out and good businesses come to the fore and potentially business models that haven't been um, fully aligned and ready for scale get tested and found out. So the opportunity is in this downtime rather than playing the victim and thinking, well, the market's just, it is what it is, what smart business owners are doing is actually saying now's the time to do that strategic activity to increase the multiplier for that exact reason so that when the market does come back, As you said, that every dollar of profit is more valuable because if you think about it with the balance sheet, if you have a transactional dollar of revenue, it's worth one on a balance sheet. Whereas if you have recurring revenue on your profit and loss, it's worth three times on the balance sheet. So changing the product mix, opening distribution channels, also addressing some of what we call the one-woods, which are those products in the business or those things that are in your business that have served you historically, but you're only continuing to use them because of ego or it's just what you've been doing. So it's a really good point to reassess the business and think how is the market going to be buying in the next five to 10 years? Where is, where is the most value going to be and how do I redeploy our scarce resources? Because we do have a lot of SMEs have those scarce resources, so it's even more important. How do we deploy those resources into that high-value recurring revenue streams as opposed to the historical um, thing that God has said. That's why we call it the one wood. It's like the golf analogy. A lot of us hit the one wood because we've always been taught to do that, but it's often costing us strokes or costing us other opportunities Um, in our business. So thinking about your business differently. (laughs) As you,
1: I'm glad you explained the analogy, I've got to say, Mark, uh, (laughs) because not being an avid golfer myself, although I have known to to have a swing, but (laughs) got it. Okay, it's a golfing analogy. All right, I'm with you now.
2: (laughs) And just on that, Joe, to Mark's point, what I'm seeing a lot of clients reassessing now is, you know, with this new normal, I'll call it moving forward, What have they done historically in terms of services or programs that maybe aren't as profitable as others? Um, And where are the markets that have served them best that maybe won't serve them as well moving forward? So in very simplistic terms, what I'm finding a lot of Businesses are asking now is, you know, is my message going to be as relevant or my pitch, if you will, is that going to be as relevant moving forward for this new market? Um, Have I got the right services or products or or are there ones I need to pull back from and trim a little bit? Mm. Um, And what's the means of communicating and delivering to that market, be it Mm. online, offline? Obviously, service delivery is going to change if you've got more of a a service-based business, you know, for, for some businesses, so it's looking at what's the message, who's the market, and what's the method of interacting with them. Um, and in the last sort of, uh, you know, two months or so since, you know, COVID has come in, I know this will, will go away sort of a, a couple of weeks down the track, but, um, you know, an analogy I've heard a couple of times recently is, you know, now people want the the life raft, not the yacht. In other mm. words, what do they need to keep moving forward that's maybe a slightly lower dollar value sale that keeps, keeps them in business, keeps the wheels churning, uh, before they go back to maybe the dollar values of what they were selling before. So it's a different message. The market's got to be more finely tuned. And uh, I find myself talking to a lot of clients about, you know, who's a market that's um, well-suited to what you've got, where you can solve a big problem for them, and they've also got some capacity to pay and, and to invest. You know, that's a very practical approach, but that's what I find i having a lot of conversations around at the moment.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Okay. All right, so let's go to the six steps then what are the six steps maybe let's start with number one what's the first one
0: the first one in the first step in moving the multiplier is talent capability and culture
1: talent capability and culture what do you mean by that mark
0: so the first way to increase your the value of your share price over a competitor's is if you have a very strong culture what that means is you've got higher retention of staff Um, Therefore, less risk in your delivery, greater corporate knowledge. You have much greater ability to attract quality staff and spend less on recruiting because as an SME, we don't have often the opportunity to get the right match of folks into the business. So having that culture and that capability and talent actually increases your loyalty with your staff and therefore you're more valuable than a like-for-like competitor that sells the same product.
1: Mm. And so, of course, you're talking about retention the right people. <laughs> but uh, And, and and of course, first you have to understand who the right people are, um, and and I'm sure that's talent capability. And
0: part of that, it's a, it's a very important, it's a great question you've asked there because, you know, we've never met a client that doesn't have a mission statement or a nice thing that says we're going to be good to the community and it's normally an eagle soaring or some people <laughs> rowing a boat and all those sorts of things, and these are our values. But they actually don't become... That's not culture. What culture is is articulating why you're in business, what are the values you hold? defining what they mean and then turning them into behaviours mm. so that when you're interviewing someone, because no one says on their CV they spent six months looking at Facebook, they did this, they did that. But when you meet someone, you can clearly tell whether they're a match for your business. So actually identifying behaviours, articulating them and then then comparing that to the people you meet. Will actually allow you to really laser in on getting that competency matrix right because it's not just about having the skills, it's about being the right fit. And it's the same whether it's an orchestra, sporting teams, management. You know, people always talk about putting the band back together in business. What they're talking about is putting a management team or a leadership team that they know and trust and share the same values. So actually defining what your behaviors are and how you do that actually allows you to retain. Attracts the right people because you ultimately, as an SME, should be getting the majority of your staff from word of mouth from your suppliers, clients, and existing staff. If your existing staff aren't actively recruiting or saying positive things about you or the barbecue test, what that means is you don't have a strong culture. But if you have staff that (laughs) say, It's a great place to work, come and join us, we're growing, that barbecue test saves you on recruiting fees. Make sure like-for-like like people join the business and you retain that culture because one of the key risks of scaling is how do we retain culture? So as soon as you've got that those behaviours, what you've got is WD-40. Culture is either sand in your engine or it's WD-40, making things move as quick, you know, as, as seamlessly and frictionlessly as possible. So as soon as we get that culture right, what we've got is a much more, you know, the business is more competitive. And the best example of that is virgin and richard branson has built eight to one billion dollar companies from scratch all on the promise of fun mm. fun and irreverence it's the
2: customer base it's the clients the people in virgin are fun people yeah it's, it's a really good point mark makes I and mean, i remember reading his biography many years ago now but yeah his his sole premise and his guiding light if you will for setting up all those businesses was going into industries that were in his words you know fat lazy having a good time a bit too happy and bloated if you will and you know coming up with a with a culture that was uh innovative fun obviously all about the customer and being price competitive as well Mm. um so you know that's that that was his sole premise if you like and the, the consistency through setting up all those businesses
1: yeah and i i love uh you i've read the book as well and i'm sure most of our listeners have um too and you know absolutely that's an example of culture that I think many of us in business, you know, aspire to create. But talking about it from a practical SME perspective, how do we, and I love your barbecue test. I love a good test that we can use. The barbecue test is very memorable. I'll be taking that away today. But what's some examples of how, you know, you've talked about creating a culture and values that the staff understand and you know implicit in that is something that you know continues to feed through that uh, you know staff actually feel you know there's some integrity behind not just words on a Mm -hmm. piece of paper is so often is the case but what are some other tips in relation to SMEs creating this culture in the environment that they're sitting in you know always too many things to do and not enough time to do it in what are some simple easy ways to create this approach of talent capability and culture
0: great question joe and, and you you, you know, part of your question there hit the nail on the head first is actually scheduling the time to do it. So making sure that you have culture days in the business scheduled so that you can continue to embed that in the business and those behaviours. So firstly, actually allocating the time because culture drives the human capital of your business. You know, you ask CEOs on podcasts or any CEO around the world, what's your most valuable asset? And they always say they're people. Mm. And the follow-up question should be, well, how much do you invest in those people? And if you're a corporate, you invest a lot because you've got the finances and the knowledge to do that. In the SME community, sometimes, when especially through COVID, things are a bit tight, and we sometimes it's one of the first line items to go. So, yeah. but it's actually more important to do it. So, firstly, we have to schedule the time to do it. Define those behaviours. So, as a real life example, in our business at Sherlaws, for 20 years, one of our values is fair. And so, what that means is all of our joint venture partners are 50-50. We don't do 51-49 deals because that would indicate a requirement for control, which means we don't trust them, which isn't fair. Because a deal is perfect when both parties feel it's fair and it's energising. If you walk away feeling as though someone's taken advantage of you, at some point you give up. So when both parties feel it's fair, what we then are able to do is have that energy, which drives culture. And in our business, we don't have an annual leave form. So since we started in July 1999, we've never had an annual leave form. And what we say to our team members is, take as, as long as you hit your commercial KPIs, take as much time as you need to look after yourself. Sometimes they take less, sometimes they take more. But not having that annual leaf formed, to your point, around the piece of paper is actually a material demonstration of our culture because if we have the piece of paper, people might not take as much time as they need. By not having it and not reporting it, we don't... It's, it allows people to be empowered... To make their own choices.
1: That is and, amazing. I love that, but that is brave. That is a brave step. Um, how, firstly, how many staff do you have? Uh,
0: when we launched that, we went from eight to 88 staff in our first three years. Wow. So we managed that and then we went to 243 in 08, just before the GFC, and then dropped back down to about 126 now. Over, a, We've re, we've, re, you know, we've followed our own advice and restructured our multiplier, so we now... License our IP so we don't have as many internal mm. staff. But that's so yeah, we still to this day we don't have a form. People still, you know, sort of smile at us when we say that. But when they join, they, they're like, okay, you, you literally don't have a form.
1: But no, but when um, you say you don't, don't have a form, it. presumably you also mean that you don't track it, as in you don't have any. No. Maximum number right. of days they can. Okay, yeah, have you got any jobs going? I'm on my way over to you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm happy here. What am I saying? But it says. I mean, you know,
2: come on, six more units.
1: But you know, that's that's got to do go on the barbecue. <laughs> We don't charge our clients photocopying, by the way. Just a plug here. (laughs) No, uh, (laughs) it sounds like you uh, Uh, you you totally earned the barbecue test there. I love that. That that would uh, definitely get people talking.
2: And the other thing, uh, uh, just quickly about culture, Joe, is you know some people can hear that word and think it's you know a bit abstract, a bit esoteric. But I mean, simply defined, it's the way a business does things around around that business, and. You know, to make it more left brain, for want of a better term, I mean, there are really good stats and lots of good research to show that obviously the more energised and engaged employees are, the better the customer experience and the higher the profit of those businesses as well. Um, there's a really good book I read many years ago called The Service Profit Chain, and it looks at, uh, employee engagement, customer experience, and what that means to the bottom line of a business. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely crucial and it's the often the starting point of delivering that great customer experience, which then flows through to more sales, high profit, and ultimately, for the theme of today, a high valuation as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay. And, and just one thing, you know, in, implicit, I'm sorry, I keep coming back to the um, the lo- no limits on leave thing. I love it. It's very unique. But I guess implicit in that approach is that you must have very good ways of managing Via numbers to know to be able to track performance, and so that st- employees themselves, you know, are held to something other than hours and days.
0: Yeah, and then, and then to Nathan's point, you know, on the left brain side of managing that, what we uh, you know educate our, our uh, you know our consultants and coaches and and folks within the business about is you know what are the source based KPIs, or what do they actually need to do as a carrot to ensure they hit. The commercial returns so that the, we've got the flexibility to do that. So, understanding the, the structure and the amount of activity required to generate the result, yep. but having that outcome focus and it's break right to here, you know, based, you know, or six minute as you know. So, <laughs> how our commercial model works is we don't have hourly rates, so we charge retainers and success fees. So, what that allows our, our, us to do with our staff, our team internally, is we can manage them that way as well. So, we're really clear around capacity and utilisation and those sorts of things. We do have that very much fine-tuned, but it's designed so that they can actually, we can we can get the numbers as a, you know, if clients are happy, happy as a company and our team are happy, you know, the barbecue's good fun, right? So, you know, if <laughs> commercial deliverables gives that freedom because no-one wants to work, you know, till 8pm on a Friday night. That's, yep. you know, that's not fun. Yeah. It's not sustainable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay. All right. Well, we, oh gosh, this is too interesting. We've only done step one. (laughs) I I hope our audience is enjoying this as much as I am and not minding that we're really getting deep into some of these areas. That's it for our first part of our three-part series, all about the six steps to increasing the multiplier of your business. Now, because we get really deep into looking at business revenue streams and product ideas. We have the second and third part of this series over at our sister podcast. Talking Law. So if you're interested in hearing the next two episodes in this series, then you'll just have to head over to Talking Law in order to do that because we won't be airing part two and part three of this series here on the Deal Room podcast. And if you want to find links to those episodes, then just head over to our show notes here in the Deal Room podcast for this episode, which was part one, and we'll give you the links through to part two and part three. Now, just have Has a bit of a teaser here, I really highly recommend you head over and have a bit of a listen to those other two episodes because in those episodes, we talk about the case study of the business that moved from a $200,000 valuation to an $11 million sale in the space of 18 months. And I think that's just a fabulous example of how these six steps to increasing the multiplier of your business can play out in real life. So if you're interested in hearing that case study and that example, then just head over to Talking Law to listen to those next two episodes. But in the meantime, if you would like to reach out to Mark Johnston at Sher Laws Group or Nathan Williams at Customer Return. All you have to do is head to your show notes or over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to get the details of Mark and Nathan and link straight to them and you'll also be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you are just dying to read it in more detail. There, you will also be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We've got a range of services working with clients, both big and small, and we've got different services depending on size and complexity. So look, don't hesitate hesitate to book an appointment free with one of our legal eagles if you would like to talk about how we might be able to assist you or your clients. Well, that's it. Thank you very much for listening in to part one of our two-part series. As I've said, if you want to listen to part two and part three, then head over to our sister podcast, Talking Law. But in the meantime, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and The Deal Room Podcast a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Thank you and see you next time. Have you heard of Aspect Legal's partner program? Our partner program is a free program that's open to brokers, corporate advisors, accountants and any other advisors to businesses who are dealing with organisations that are leading into a sale or acquisition of businesses or shares. As part of our partner program, we offer free access to our legal hotline, which is a support line to our specialist lawyers. We also provide a pre-free sale legal review to buyers and sellers, where we educate them about the process and timelines from a legal perspective. And the third element that forms part of this partner program is a match-up database that we run, where effectively we're able to connect up accountants or brokers or corporate advisors with businesses who are looking to either sell or acquire. So if you're a partner of ours, you go straight into that partner database and where we can see opportunities to provide matchups, then we introduce you. And the final element of our partner program is ongoing education in the form of seminars, webinars, and meetups. And that's something new that we're introducing into the partner program in early 2020. So if you're not a partner, then all you need to do to become a partner is just pop us an email at partners at aspectlegal.com au, and just simply say in your subject column, I want to become a partner. It's as easy as that to get immediate access to our free legal hotline and all of those other resources. We look forward to having you on board as a partner. Ladies and gentlemen.
0: That will conclude this evening's entertainment.